Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking with audiologist Dr. Heidi Hill, how concussions can impact communication. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, formerly MFNC, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and are experienced in treating complex concussion cases that include dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zelmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I also volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, recently received a silver medal in the Midwest Book Awards. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And also, don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. So today, my guest is Dr. Heidi Hill, and Heidi is an audiologist and an expert in the evaluation and management of hearing disorders. Dr. Hill has owned and operated Hearing Health Clinic, an audiology private practice in Minnesota for more than 12 years. She specializes in not just peripheral hearing loss, but also in tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, and central auditory processing problems that commonly occur after a head injury. So I'm very excited to have her here today. This is a topic we have not yet covered on the podcast. So welcome, Dr. Hill. Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, you know, it's such an important topic, and I kind of can't believe we haven't covered it yet. So really thrilled to have you here. Um, I would love to start with just, you know, how did you get into this profession? How did you become an audiologist and, you know, start working with concussion cases? Well, I became an audiologist a long time ago, over 22 years ago, and I was actually in graduate school to be a speech pathologist. And I put off taking the required audiology courses because all my friends had said they're horrible and really hard and you're going to hate it. And Mm -hmm. so when I was in graduate school, I took my first audiology course and I beyond, I soared. I loved it. It spoke to me. And my professor said, why aren't you in the audiology program? And I said, I don't know. So I ended up doing both in graduate school. And I think that that really um, has led me to where I am today. I've always had this interest in central auditory processing 
you know, what happens from the ear to the brain and then what the brain does with sound. And I, I think it's that speech therapy background that I started in um, that that has always um, spoken to me. And the concussion um, information that we're learning more and more in audiology just really um, excites me, and I'm very passionate about it because um, it's it's newer and it's really tapping into my interest areas of central processing and tinnitus and some of those other things. And we're just learning so much more about it every single year. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, and you know, I, I think some of the most common complaints um, for people who've had a brain injury, you know, are ringing in the ears, um, a sense of fullness, in the ears or pressure, you know, um, I know I experienced yeah. some of that and just that feeling of being off and the brain fog. And I think mm-hmm. it's far too often dismissed by neurologists and, and GPs um, when we really should be being referred to an audiologist. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's missed. It's kind of, you know, dismissed. You know, oh, there's nothing you can do for tinnitus. <laughs> you know, I think that that's the better way to say it. It's dismissed, and that's so unfortunate because the neurosensory systems can be significantly, our vision, our hearing can be significantly affected by concussions. And to just brush over it, I think first of all, doesn't validate the person who's experiencing it. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of Let's, it says to you, oh, that's not a big deal, when in fact it is a big deal. Um, not being able to communicate effectively and process is a really big deal. And having to live with um, disturbing ringing in your ears or noise in your head can be um, very stressful and, and very debilitating. So to just be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, and, and gloss over it, I think is really a disservice to people because audiology can help. And, and mm-hmm. that's why I'm here to talk to you today. You know, let's touch on tinnitus because I know this is a huge issue in the brain injury world. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself deal with it. Um, I feel fortunate. Mine's pretty minimal. I have to be in a really quiet room to hear it. Um, and then it kind of catches me off guard. It's like, oh, my ears are just buzzing. Um, but then I also have these episodes where I'm, you know, I'm just standing or sitting or doing whatever. And all of a sudden one ear will buzz or ring really high pitched. My head feels like something moved into it. And then it exits the other ear almost as quickly as it came. It lasts like maybe 30 seconds. And, you know, I feel fortunate that my episodes are so minimal where other people deal with like unbearable ringing, like really loud ringing all the time. Um, so maybe yeah. kind of give us a lowdown of like, what is tinnitus and, you know, why does it happen? How, you know, it seems like a big mystery to most doctors. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of put it out there. So, well, about 10 to 15% of the population experiences tinnitus. Um, So it's really common, but of those people who experience tinnitus, only about 3 to 5% 
um, suffer enough to seek medical attention where it's really disturbing. Um, and what's interesting about that three to five percent is our research um, a little while back, we assumed that it was because it was so intense and so loud. But when we put those patients in our sound booth and we, we subjectively asked them to kind of match the loudness of their ringing, um, it wasn't any louder than it was for people who weren't disturbed by it. So that's when we started to realize that it's a person's reaction to the tinnitus yeah. that really can dictate how well that person can manage and get used to its presence. So I have tinnitus as well, and it's, you know, in the background. And again, like you, it isn't until it's really, really quiet um, where I notice it. And how I react to it matters significantly in that situation. And silence really isn't my friend. I sleep with a fan on. I have yeah, me noise too. <laughs> on all the time. Yep. I don't like silence. And if you have tinnitus and you may never have even realized, oh, that's why I have to have the TV or the radio on all the time. Um, you've just kind of learned that it, it helps distract the brain, can't attend to both things at the same time. So with that said, there's, there's that 3 to 5% that suffer enough to seek medical attention, and many of those have had a TBI, um, and our research also shows that TBI-induced tinnitus is typically rated more severe than non-head head injury-related tinnitus. Um, and, you know, this may be because of uh, the healing process, uh, the brain is leading to some increased spontaneous firing rates uh, along the auditory nervous system um, and just elevated activity in that whole central nervous system. So kind of backtracking a little bit, you've got your ears, and that's just where everybody assumes that we hear. But we actually hear in our brain. Our ears mm -hmm. are the peripheral yeah. part of that, and they pick up the sound and they send it to the brain. And the brain has to make sense out of all of that. And there's so much happening from the ear to the brain and back down again. So we have this, this kind of highway going up and down from our brain to our ears. And what can happen in a head injury is any damage to that inner ear or the peripheral system can change um, the information that's being sent up to the brain and then the brain is trying to fill it in by kind of ramping things back up, going back down again, and, and we hear this sound. Um, there could also be, like I said, just spontaneous nerve firing. There could be all sorts of different things happening um, in the brainstem at several points where um, you've got your nerves coming in uh, and just that that movement, that head injury, that shearing effect um, changes everything that's going on in that nervous system. And now our brain is, is um, picking up on a pattern of sound that isn't really there. Um, and how we react to it um, makes every bit of difference as to how we can manage it in the future. So where we see the, the tinnitus occurring in the brain, it'll occur in um, two areas, the, our limbic system, which is where our emotional state is, and autonomic nervous system, um, which is kind of our fight or flight response, right? So if, 
if we react really strongly and negatively to the sound, which is common because it's really irritating, um, our brain can misread that as, oh, this is a threat. This is important, and I better monitor this. And so um, that's, that's where it really becomes prod- problematic. Um, so doing things like just counseling patients, first of all, really kind of digging into why might this be happening for you. Is there a peripheral hearing loss? Is this um, just central changes? Is this um, a neck you know, issue? If you push on your neck, does it change the sound? Um, where do we go from here? And some of my patients will need, um, they've got a hearing loss, and treating the hearing loss actually also treats their tinnitus, um, which is really awesome. So they get hearing aids, and that little mild amplification just gives instant relief. When I have really bad ringing in my ears, I don't even have a hearing loss. I put a hearing aid on, and it's just, oh, I relax instantly. Um, because my brain isn't paying so much attention to that sound, that ringing sound. Um, And then there's also sound therapy. And sound therapy is um, a management technique that can modify a patient's reaction to tinnitus um, by distracting the brain and reducing the perception of the loudness and reducing stress levels is really, really important. So that was a lot of information about tinnitus. <laughs> yeah, but it was great info. And, you know, I want to kind of jump back to the fight or flight mode, right? And, yep. you know, I just feel like that just keeps getting reiterated by a lot of professionals that I speak with um, and how when your body is stuck in this fight or flight, right, yep. Um, it, yep. you you startle easily. You have a lot of anxiety. That's, I think, you know, that's the underlying cause of so much anxiety, right? Because mm-hmm. um, when your body is constantly on edge, but you don't like mentally know that, right? Like you don't understand right. why you're having this right. response. Um, and so you don't know how to handle that. And, you, you know, you also touched on how the brain hears. You know, the, eye, the ears just bring it in, and that's the same with the eyes. The eyes bring the information in, but the brain sees. So when, you know, any of those systems are off, you're going to just feel this chronic offness. I can't think of a better word. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, you just feel off. And so many people can't explain what off means. I just feel off. I don't feel myself. And I think that's where traditional doctor struggles now and, and to no fault, right? Like if you can't give them information, they can't figure it out, right? Like, and, and they're not specifically trained in this stuff. So, um, I, you know, I, that's why all these specialists, you know, <clears throat> uh, normal trained eye doctors and audiologists and functional neurologists, you know, like they're critical in the care of brain injury because they understand the complexities and the idiosyncrasies of it. Um, and, you know, I guess that's why I'm so passionate about making sure people know about these alternative health forms. Um, so uh, tinnitus, okay, we, we've talked about that. So now I, want, I don't know if there's a term for it, but this feeling of fullness in your ears, like your ears feel 
plugged or like they have cotton in them. Um, you know, is there a name for that, first of all? And, you know, what, what kind of causes that sensation? And is there a treatment for it? So we call that oral fullness um, and, you know, feeling a pressure in the ears. It can be from a, a problem in the middle ear, which is where the three smallest bones in our body are. Um, so, you know, the head injury might have caused some damage in that middle ear. So for sure having um, a hearing test done and, and we can tell, you know, if, if the hearing loss is, is caused by the middle ear or um, the inner ear, and then refer on to an ear, nose, and throat physician if there's a middle ear problem um, to have that checked out. And that's oftentimes repairable um, or treatable. And so you want to get that checked out. It can also be just an indication that um, you've got a sudden little hearing loss um, from your head injury as well. Um, and so, again, getting that checked out, seeing if there was any damage to the inner ears. And lastly, just um, even when you get those loud that loud tinnitus, it, it, you get this sensation like everything went really quiet in your ear. Um, we call it a temporary threshold shift where your threshold or the softest sound you can hear kind of shifts a little bit perceptively. Um, and again, it's just all that neural activity that's, that's happening um, that can give you that perception so I hope that answered your question. But basically, if you've got oral fullness, you need to get that checked out by an audiologist for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I spoke, I, I was telling you briefly before we went live, I spoke with a um, physical therapist uh, oh, probably a year ago. She was on the podcast. And she explained, because she has a close working relationship with her local audiologist. And when you hit your head, there's this tiny bone that can get broken and it can cause significant issues. And I have no, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have no memory of what she called that. <laughs> so um, I would love for you to explain what that is all about and the importance of that. So the three smallest bones in your body, the smallest one is the stapes, and that's what connects. So those bones connect the eardrum to the inner ear, um, and they need to move with your eardrum, right? So if, if you um, hit your head, it could dislodge those bones. One, they could disconnect. Um, and so, you know, your eardrum is moving, but your, your connection between the eardrum and the inner ear is, is not um, – connected the way that it's supposed to be. You could also break one of those little bones. Um, I would assume she's talking about the stapes, and that's the one that connects to a little window to the inner ear. Um, that's crucially important, and that can be, um, that can be replaced with a prosthetic device um, by an ENT surgeon as well. But either one of those issues are absolutely going to cause um, a feeling like you've got a little bit of hearing loss in that ear because you do <laughs> because that system isn't moving the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. And those yeah. are treatable conditions. So those are the, those are conditions you really don't want to, um, well, you don't want to ignore any of them, but those mm-hmm. are very treatable. 
Now, are some so for instance that that little bone? Um, are these things that would be found in say an MRI? Um, I remember when I had my original MRI, and um, they asked if I had any dizziness or hearing loss. And, you know, at the time I had that like fullness in my ear. Um, so I know they did some extra scans of my ears or, you know, the inner ear section. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, uh, you know, if that's something they, that they are looking for in an MRI or not necessarily. Well, it, I, if the ENT is, is thinking that it's, it's um, one of the, the bones in the middle ear, um, he or she will probably order a CAT scan to take a peek at that. But before that point, there are tests that we do that can really give a lot of data to the to the ENT um, where they can make the decision about whether that's that's necessary or not. So, um, yeah, there's there's tests that we do that um, can pretty easily kind of identify that through the hearing test portion of it and then they would want to for sure see so if you're getting an MRI um, scheduled by let's say your neurologist um, they're probably not looking at that no no they're probably not looking at the bones they'd want to look at a CAT scan for the bone yeah okay okay yeah that makes sense that does make sense yeah so you know this whole ear and the eyes and the the middle brain, you know, it's all so interconnected. And, um, you know, I've seen the question come up a lot about how, you know, someone like they're feeling like they can't really hear well out of one ear, you know, they've got that fullness, that plugged up feeling. And, you know, they ask, you know, is that going to affect my balance? Because I feel like I'm really off balance. And, you know, I say it's all connected, right? That whole vestibular system in there so intricately, intricately woven, um, you know, so if someone's struggling with any of that kind of stuff, you know, what are some things um, that they could be experiencing that they should get into an audiologist? Well, I think that if you feel like you're experiencing any time of, type of hearing loss, any tinnitus like we've talked about, um, sensitivity to loud sounds, is um, something called hyperacusis that's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, it's common with the tinnitus. So you have this high-pitched ringing and you're really sensitive to um, sounds that you weren't sensitive to before. It's, it's interconnected. It's all kind of the same underlying um, issues that are causing both of those things that can both be treated with sound therapy. Um, and then difficulty understanding in noise um, can often um, occur after a head injury, following directions, um, being able to follow rapid speech, you know, being able to uh, process speech that isn't really clear. Um, you just feel like I, I don't, patients will say, I don't know, it's, it's just like I can't, I can't process what people mm-hmm. are saying to me. Um, and so that, if, if hearing is normal, and so you may have gotten, a person might go in and see an audiologist and they say, oh, your hearing's normal. And it doesn't validate this, but I, but I, can't, yeah. but I can't hear. Um, and so that's because that audiologist 
just looked at the peripheral system. And because of the auditory nervous system from the ear to the brain, it's such a, that's a long path. There's a lot of shearing that can happen. It's very vulnerable. It's vulnerable because it has greater metabolic needs than most other areas of the brain, um, your, your auditory cortex. Um, sound processing relies on um, timing cues, which are actually more than a thousand times faster than the photoreceptors in your visual system. Um, there's really long actions here. There's, there's so many things that make the auditory nervous system vulnerable um, and then will cause these other issues. And there's tests. There's tests for that. There's tests of hear how, how do you hear a noise? Are your two ears working together, um, which is really, really important? Um, are you able to, is your brain able to use what's called temporal or timing cues from different speech sounds? Um, or do you have deficits in these areas? And if you do, um, there's, there's computerized auditory training that's been shown to not only improve auditory processing, but may even result in some more global um, healing as well and, and improvements that kind of generalize into cognition as well, attention and um, working memory, that kind of that auditory memory, those kind of things. Um, it could potentially help those things as well. So looking at that um, is, is really important, especially if you've had a neuropsych evaluation and, and on that they'll look at things like auditory attention um, and auditory memory. And if you've got some weakness in that area, um, then I would absolutely be looking at auditory processing in general um, mm -hmm. as well. So um, that's the most up-and-coming kind of thing to be looking at for concussion, that there's actually possibly some tests that can help um, identify whether there's been a concussion or not um, oh, looking at yeah. auditory processing. So that's exciting, too. That is exciting. Um, one thing you mentioned was, you know, the peripheral hearing, right? Um, and I know that was one thing that Dr. Bridget um, had brought up, the PTI referred to earlier, um, was if you get like a 15-minute hearing test and they only tested your peripheral hearing, they didn't go deep enough. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So if someone is um, putting feelers out and contacting an audiologist, is there a specific name of the test or, you know, how, how can they make sure they're getting the right testing? Well, that's a great question. So you want to ask, you know, do you test auditory processing, um, which, you know, that, that's probably what I would ask. Do you, do you have any tests of auditory processing? Are you going to look at that? Um, do you work with tinnitus patients besides just fitting hearing aids? Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot more than hearing aids in audiology, but you want to make sure that you're working with somebody who does specialize in those things. Um, more likely a private practice audiologist. Um, but some of the bigger groups do auditory processing assessments as well. Um, there aren't too many of us who are doing that. So um, that's yeah. a great question to ask. 
Yeah. And I know, you know, I only recently learned this and it was actually your office manager that explained this to me. Um, So my mom went to Costco to the audiologist to get hearing aids. Um, And it's like misleading that they're not true audiologists. They're really only um, testing hearing and fitting hearing aids. Um, So could you just kind of touch on that briefly to help people understand? Sure. So, well, to clarify, some Costco's do have audiologists. So, um, and some, some are, are, are really good. Costco's, uh, you're just taking a little bit of a chance. You don't know who you're going to get. Um, mm-hmm. And, and how experienced they are. And so, um, but even if it is an audiologist, it's not going to be an audiologist that's going to specialize in age-related hearing loss, um, which has, again, auditory processing components. They're not going to do anything with tinnitus. Um, you know, if, if you've got medical conditions tied to your hearing loss or, or you don't even know if you do, you should be going to see an audiologist in a different setting. The, the purpose of Costco's um, department there, they sell hearing aids. And so that, right. that's the goal. Right. That's the end goal. And, and they do a thorough, you know, test for that purpose. But audiologists, audiology is so much more than hearing aids. And even if you are going for hearing aids, the more challenging, the more significant your hearing loss is, the less likely I have found people are successful with that model of care. Um, and so I would recommend, I think there's lots of people who are successful going to a place like Costco because they've got a milder problem. And, I, and you know, that's, that might be a good um, fit for them. But it isn't a good fit for everybody. And um, it's important to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So good, good clarification. Thank you. So we are just about out of time. And I would love to ask if you have any final words of wisdom or parting thoughts for our listeners um, in relation to uh, hearing and communication after brain injury. Yeah, I, I, I would say, um, you know, make yourself an appointment with an audiologist, like we said, who can work with the symptoms that you're having. Um, whether it be tinnitus or sound sensitivity or just processing in general, um, don't take, well, it'll get better mm-hmm. and it doesn't get better as, as a solution. <laughs> Give it more time because, in fact, auditory symptoms are more typical um, later on. So in that kind of post-concussion syndrome, that's three months to 18 months. So you may not experience anything right away. Um, for a for a year, for a year and a half, or you're noticing it's actually getting worse. And my head injury was, yeah. you know, my concussion was a year and a half ago. Um, and it's never too late. That's the great thing about yes. neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Never too late. So, um, you know, don't don't give up if it's if it's a problem for you. Yeah, great advice. It's never too late. And I think traditionally we've been taught 
that, you know, the first year is when healing can take place. And then after that, you're out of luck. And I was even told that by my neurologist, you know, just five years ago. So um, it's one of those myths that's getting, it's hard to debunk in the medical community. So, um, but that is not true. Exactly. Exactly. It is not true. You can, you can have improvement at any time in your recovery. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Hill. This has just been great information. I'm so happy that I was able to connect uh, with your assistant at the Minnesota conference. So, so glad that we had yeah, you here today. Too. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said, it's um, a topic we haven't covered here before. So um, really great information. And I hope you got a lot of golden nuggets from Dr. Hill. Again, just a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And be sure to join uh, Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And just another thank you to the Functional Neurology Center. Um, You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Again, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again next time.